Amen. The Bible uses different language to talk about what believers are. And in um, the book of Acts, they are followers of the way. They are followers of the way. They are followers, and that's an interesting word to, to think on for a moment. Followers, they are people who are trying to set a trajectory after something before them, something in front of them. One way of talking about Christians is talking about them as followers of Jesus. That's what we mean by it. And I understand that in 2022, if you were to ask, by and large and broadly, what it means to be a Christian, it might be someone's answer that they think Jesus said some good things they agree with. Or they might think they have a positive impression about the stories they heard growing up of the birth of Jesus or the work on the cross. Um, I, I would want to press on the point that in the New Testament, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, a follower of him, a disciple of Jesus, a learner of Jesus. And that in following after Jesus, what the believers in the New Testament are trying to do is in continuity with the Old Testament. We're trying to set our hearts and trajectories of life in a manner that follows the wisdom and commands of God for his glory among the nations. Uh, we're trying to live as if our name is not what is greatest in the world, but the name of God, to know him, to make him known, and most importantly in the New Testament, to realize he's made himself known in Christ in a way that we now call ourselves followers of Jesus. Um, it would be a good phrase to adopt in our lingo if somebody were to ask, you know, if we're a Christian or what is meant by that in our minds, we could say to them, that means I'm a follower of Jesus. That means his teachings, his example, how he understands the world and the scriptures. That's what we take our cue from. We're going to be followers of Jesus, and that's why we take on the name Christian. In chapter 9, we see a very visible... But, but also theological truth that the believers in Yahweh were to always be characterized as followers. People who were led by the Lord and people who went the path that the Lord led them. The images on the very literal level that we're going to consider tonight are images of a cloud during the day and fire during the night. But wherever they camped and whenever they set out, they were to be a people known as followers of Yahweh. He led and they followed. This is the, ever, uh, the everyday and, uh, and ever uh, uh, true response of the believer. We are responding to what we know in the scriptures to say, how can I follow faithfully? How in this particular area of life can I show I am following the Lord? We are not uninterested or indifferent to those kinds of questions. As believers, that's in keeping with what we are confessing. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'm professing to be a follower of him. This section in chapter 9 um, is giving attention to the tabernacle. We've seen many chapters in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers that address this portable tent, this tent of meeting. But what I want you to remember is that in chapter 40 of Exodus, when it was set up, very glorious realities unfolded. At the very end of Exodus, the book ends this way. That the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up, the people would set out. And if the cloud wasn't taken up, they didn't set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud was over the tabernacle by day and fire by night. Now I'm reading from Exodus 40 there, but we've already heard from Numbers 9. You might think to yourself, that sounds... That sounds like on a Venn diagram, the kinds of circles that overlap with that language, Exodus 40, Numbers 9, saying a lot of the same stuff. And it's true because at Mount Sinai, they had not yet become that traveling people that they would be after the mountain, heading toward the promised land. They've been there for many months at Sinai. We're given a summary statement, though, that, hey, when the cloud does move, and it will, in Numbers 10, the very next chapter, next week, Israel will leave Mount Sinai. We've had them there for a long time. It's been a long time since we were in Exodus 19 when they arrived at Sinai. I don't even remember what year that was um, from our perspective when we started studying Exodus. Now we are in Numbers and next Sunday the people will depart from Sinai. A major event in their history. And as we are considering the last lead up to that chapter in Numbers 9, we're prepared once again for a people who will be guided by the Lord. In Exodus 40, attention is no longer given to the glory and cloud on Sinai. Though it was impressive, though it was thunderous, though it was overwhelming, though it was frightening. Attention is given to the glory and cloud at the tabernacle. I wanted us to pair together these ideas over our last few uh, sessions together, our teachings together, that the tabernacle is the new Sinai. The tabernacle is like a portable Sinai. The voice of the Lord speaks from the tabernacle to Moses, the mediator, and glory, power, cloud, authority, majesty, all of that's associated with this place that will travel with them. It is what one writer called a symbol of the Emmanuel principle. What does he mean by that? He says, God is with them. That's what it means. Emmanuel means God with us, and God is in the very midst of the people, and the tabernacle communicates that. If the Israelites are traveling with the tabernacle, what they could confess to one another is, God is with us. He didn't stay at Sinai, and then we departed. No, we have gone, and God is with us. God is even leading us. We are a people led by the presence of the Lord. This passage reminds me of a game we would play a lot growing up. And maybe you have had the opportunity to play red light, green light, where you're all in this particular area and you're supposed to move forward when it's green light. But when somebody says red light, everybody stops. And whoever keeps moving when they're supposed to stop, they're out of the game. And at least that's how we played. And so you get kicked off the island. And then uh, if, you get, if you get all the way down to the finish line, well, then you're the winner or if you're the last one standing. Red light, green light. Uh, with this, uh, this uh, game in our minds, think of this in a much more serious sense of how the cloud and fire are leading the Israelites. As the cloud moves, the people are to go. When the cloud settles, the people are to stop. It is a red light, green light in the most important sense that anyone has ever played that game because the God of heaven and earth is guiding his people and is saying here now and sometimes for lengths of time at a location and then moving again. Why would he guide them? Where are they going? They are a people heading to a promised land. And from Sinai to the promised land, the Lord will guide them by pillar of cloud and fire by night. Let's look together at verses 15 and 16. This talks about the presence of cloud and fire. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, 
that reminds us of Exodus 40. We're, we're flashing back, okay? This is not present day in Numbers. We're flashing back to that tabernacle setup that Exodus 40 talked about. A lot of stuff's happened since then. In fact, we were talking about uh, um, a Passover event this morning. We're thinking about looking toward that, uh, that earlier set of months. Tabernacle is set up. And on the day it was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. Well, we know that. Now, it's been a lot of space since Exodus 40. But if we were to go back to Exodus 40, it's reported there just like this. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Two images, all right? Let's think of our, to ourselves two images. Cloud, that's visible during the day. Fire, that's visible during the night. Both of which, however, are going to be symbolic of the presence of Yahweh. Symbolic of the presence of Yahweh. The first time this arises in Israel's life is in Exodus 13. Exodus 13 is between the exodus out of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. What has happened, we're told, is that the Lord God, Yahweh, went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night didn't depart from the people. And we know this is about the presence of the Lord because in Exodus 14, the very next chapter, the angel of God encamps around the people. And as the angel of God moves, so does the cloud and fire. Which means the presence of Yahweh is wrapped up with this visible display of cloud and fire. This is the presence of God with the people. There is a practical element to this in addition to the theological point of God's presence. The practical element might be, as one scholar summarized it, to relieve the heat of the wilderness sun. There is a cloud stretching over the people to guide them by day. And then to reverse the cold darkness of the wilderness night, there is over them a comforting fire to provide warmth in the wilderness. This is in addition to the point of it being the presence of God with the people. He's even caring for and protecting them as they would. I don't think we should imagine, you know, some uh, six foot diameter cloud that's just above the people. I think we should envision over the Israelites a massive display of what would be cloud by day and fire by night to both comfort the people in a practical level and guide them as the presence of God among them at a theological level. How often was this? Well, verse 16, so it was always. This was not three out of the seven days of the week. This was not just for a few hours during the day. And the Lord said, I'm just going to set a course for you and then uh, you take it from there. This was an abiding presence of God with the people covering it by day and appearance of fire by night. Um, This is the sign of the presence of God among them. So verses 15 and 16 reintroduce that cloud and fire imagery. Let's think of the guidance by the cloud. Verses 17 and 18 give us the guidance by the cloud with this language. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that they set out. In Numbers, this has not yet happened. They are projecting here and even summarizing from a past vantage point what will happen when they move. But it is not, it, we are not meant to look for earlier narratives. Okay, when did that cloud lift up and when did it move and when did they set out? They're still at Sinai and until Numbers 10. But here we are given a, a kind of anticipatory vision of what's coming. They are to be led whenever the cloud lifts from over the tent. If the priests are able to enter the tabernacle, 
Over the tabernacle, you have a presence of God by cloud and fire that is visible to the people. Very comforting if you're an Israelite. Because if you're not a priest from Levi's tribe, you're not going in that tabernacle. You don't see the glory of what is there. If you're not the high priest, you're not going behind the veil on the day of atonement. But if you're an Israelite in the camp, if you're an Israelite in the camp, the miraculous, staggering presence of God is over the tabernacle by cloud and fire. It is a visible reminder of the comforting hand and mighty presence of God with you. And it tells us when the cloud lifts, the people set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Now we're envisioning that encampment. You've got the tabernacle that's to be at the center, three tribes on all the sides. All of that was reiterated earlier in Numbers. Now they're going to be a marching people starting in Numbers 10. And how are they going to know when to go anywhere? I mean, they've been at Mount Sinai. When you get to Numbers 10, they've been there about 11 months. It's a long time. How will they know when to go? Well, when God leads them, how will they know when to stop when the cloud stops? Uh, This is not an overly complicated text in verse 17. It's to give you the staggering reality of the presence of God very carefully leading the people of Israel. Where it settles, there the people will camp. Then in verse 18, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. Again, summarizing what will happen. We'll see it in Numbers 10. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained. The emphasis on the command of Yahweh is wrapped up with the cloud. Here's what I want us to put together in our minds. That the word of God is being visibly demonstrated by the movement of the cloud. This is the command of God for them to move. When the cloud lifts, that's the word of God speaking to them, if you will. It is a visible display of the command of God, break your camp. Gather all the loved ones and friends, Israelites and non-Israelites. March in the proper order. It is time to move from the camp. That is the command of God. And as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained. So we've thought about the presence of cloud and fire and the guidance by that cloud. But what I want you to notice is that none of their subsequent weeks and months are given even equal times of stay. In other words, if you were traveling somewhere, let's say, just zooming out from the text for a moment. If you were traveling somewhere and you thought, each place that I travel, I'm just going to spend a couple days. And I'm just going to make my way around different regions or different states. Just going to allot two days to each location. See what I can see, eat what I can eat. But then i got to keep moving because more places to see and go. That's not how anything in numbers is going to work for these people. These are unequal times of stay. And the reason we notice this is because of the language in verses 19 through 23. This last section of the passage is about the unequal times of camping. Verse 19 says, even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and didn't set out. The the way they keep that charge is they don't move until he does. That's how they keep the charge. His command will be the movement of the cloud, and they will keep his charge or command until he moves. The move, the command that would be, in other words, to stay at the camp. Even if it's many days, they're looking at their watch, they're looking at their calendars, and they're thinking, we've been here for many days. That doesn't matter. They don't move when they want to. They're being led. This requires the Israelites to have cultivated within themselves and over time a trust 
in the Lord's timing. Because as a people led by God, they're going to have to trust that even if many days unfold, and here they are many days in this spot, the Lord, their God, is with them. They must trust His timing. Even if they would rather go earlier, even if they would rather have not gone to that location, they are going to be traveling through the wilderness toward an inheritance. And if they will be with God, then it is the best place for them to possibly be. He's a refuge for them, a cloud by day and a fire by night. He is faithful and his word and promises are true and his covenant will be kept. His love is steadfast. They must trust him. And I think the way we build and develop trust is like the building muscle when you're trying to build muscle using resistance and pressure externally. Circumstances provide the kind of spiritual mechanisms by which we have opportunities to trust the Lord with what we don't understand. Opportunities to see again his faithfulness and his care, even if in the middle of it, we don't understand why we've been here for these many days. They have to trust the Lord's timing. It tells us in verse 20, sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, just a few. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained. And then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. In verse 21, sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. Well, that's not very long at all. You get there in the evening and in the morning, the cloud has lifted. It's like, oh, we're not staying here for very long, are we? We're going to pack up, back up. We're going to get everybody together and we're going to go. It didn't even seem like a very quick, uh, very long stop at all. And then we're told in verse 21, when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether in verse 22, it was two days. Think of this or a month. Verse 22 just throws up the idea that they might face an encampment on their trek to the promised land where they're going to be there for weeks. Not only a month, it says, or a longer time. What if they have to trust the Lord for even longer? They're going to be led and guided by him. He is with them by cloud and fire. But they're not in control of the timing. Rather, they're in control of the response to the cloud and fire. I mean, think of the importance of this. They can't tell the cloud and fire when to move, but they can control whether they're going to follow it. When the cloud moves, will they go? When the fire moves, will they move? Or will they decide to go apart from the cloud and fire? Or if it moves, they think, you know what? I know it's leaving, but I think we'll stay here a bit longer. The emphasis in these verses is quite repetitive. You caught that even when we were going through it, hearing Numbers 9, 15 to 23 being read. So much of that language is saying the same kind of thing. It is to emphasize that the command of the Lord is what drives the people. And it must be so. He is the authority in their lives. They will be led by some authority they ascribe meaning or value to. May it be the Lord, the Lord's word, his command. Whether two days, a month, or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in the camp and didn't set out. But when it lifted, they set out. Verse 23 tells us, at the command of the Lord, they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. I was thinking about the occurrences of so many of these words out of this passage. And you might think if we could boil it down, you might be able to have just one verse at the command of the Lord, they set out and at the command of the Lord, they stayed. And yet you have this whole passage just really and thickly describing all of the movements. 
Eight times in our passage, the phrase they set out is used. Eight times in just a small amount of verses. The word cloud appears in every single verse but the last one. The word cloud is so important as a theme because it symbolizes, again, the presence of God with the people. The verb camped appears six times. And then some interesting uses of words seven times take place. And that always intrigues me because I know that there's an artistry and a design in the minds of the biblical authors inspired by the Spirit to record accounts of things. And the cloud being over or covering or resting over the tabernacle is reported seven times in our passage. And in one sense, I think repetition can cause our minds to say, okay, how many more times is the biblical text going to say that? But I think the problem is not with the biblical text, but perhaps with our inability as a reader to sometimes notice things that are to be emphasized. One of the strategies of biblical interpretation that the Bible holds out for us is to notice what seems to be repeated many times. It's as if we were to say, all right, I said it in many different ways and multiple times. Did you catch the meaning? Rather than saying it once, which they could have, over and over again, we're told that the cloud covered or rested over the tabernacle seven times. We're given the word command seven times as well. When it tells us that the command of the Lord they did this or that the command of the Lord they didn't do this, the command language appears seven times in this passage. Again, this is not an accident. This is a deliberate design of a perfect and faithful guiding of the Lord. The word tabernacle. The word tabernacle appears seven times in this passage. Language like this, the occurrences of these words and phrases, they're noticed when we slow down and we see, okay, certain things are being said over and over again. What's the point of that? What am I meant to take away? Repetition emphasizes here the obedience of Israel. And yes, the obedience here seems really highlighted. That will not be the case in chapters to come. You will not see this kind of emphatic obedience highlighted after chapter 9. Where over and over again we're told that when God said this, they did this. And when he gave the command, they followed in this way. We're going to see a waywardness set in among the people of Israel. So yes, the obedience seems strongly emphasized here. And it will help prepare us for the shock of such a lack of obedience in the chapters to come. We need hearts ready to obey. Think of how ready the language describes the people. There's waiting on the cloud and fire to move. And when the cloud goes, they go. When the fire moves, they're going to move. There is an anticipation of readiness. Oh, may we pray humbly and often for the Lord to cultivate in our hearts that kind of anticipated obedience. Where we come to our day and come to our circumstances ready to obey the Lord. That's what we're waiting for. Opportunities to look to see how can I obey and show faithfulness to God. We need hearts ready to obey. And this doesn't just happen. We don't drift into faithfulness and obedience. 
There is an intentionality and, a, and a, a looking to the fire in the cloud. You can just imagine visibly the cloud and fire above them and perhaps a people enamored with the affairs of what's going on around them and their heads are just down and they're giving no sight to what is truly above their heads. They're not being guided by what is heavenly and godly, what is divine and spiritual. Instead, they are consumed with perhaps what is below And their lives are not guided by anything beyond themselves. This passage reminds us that the Israelite people of God and all the people of God are to be guided by what is beyond them. We're not trying to follow our hearts here. That's not what we're trying to do. They're following the cloud and fire no matter where else their hearts might have led them. Following the Lord. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, He says Christ was typified by the pillar of cloud and fire. Think about this for a moment. Not only is this an important Puritan insight, many others in church history have made the same conclusion, but I thought I would share his particular quote. He says the pillar of cloud and fire were Israel's guide and conductor in the wilderness, and this typified Christ, who is our pillar of cloud. He guides our feet, Watson says, into the way of peace. And the cloud was unerring, for God was in it. In other words, it's not like the cloud and fire was taking them in a direction and said, Oh, you know what, we've gone a long way, but I need to turn around. You ever gone several miles in the, long, in the wrong direction and you realize, I'm going to have to turn around to go the right way? That was never the case with the fire and cloud. The Israelites might have gone astray, but never would the fire and cloud have led them astray. The fire and cloud even led them to the border of the Red Sea. And they freaked out everywhere in Exodus 13 and 14. We're here and we're going to die. But indeed, God would lead them not only to that place, but to display his glory and might. Despite their fear and trembling, the sea waters would part and they would go through on dry ground. The pillar and fire would never lead them astray. And how much more Christ An unerring guide and faithful shepherd for all his people. Watson says, such is Christ, who is the way and the truth. How lovely is this pillar to behold. And amen. I listen to those words from Watson and I say, indeed, Jesus is the ultimate cloud and fire. If this is the presence of God with the people in the Old Testament, by the angel of God language itself in Exodus 14, where the angel moves, the cloud moves. This is not something independent of God, but representing his very presence. Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the command of the Lord by his own authority and life. In his example and in his instructions. In his miracles and ultimately in his own sacrificial death. He is someone leading the people. I mean think about the image of first century Rome. You have Jesus walking around. Okay, literally people following him. Now he doesn't look like a cloud. And he doesn't look like a pillar of fire. He's the one that grew up in Nazareth. He was the one born in Bethlehem. But where he goes, people are following him. And he, in fact, he actually calls them to follow him. Will you follow me? He says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, here you have in the Old Testament, God leading his people. Here you have in the New Testament, the Son of God leading the people in the promised land who are quite literally following him. Where he goes, they go. Where he stops, they stop. Where he sleeps, they sleep. And when he lifts up to move, they move. 
Because as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives were now being oriented and organized around him. The new pillar of cloud and fire in the promised land. Consider even the glory of the transfiguration. Here you have in Luke chapter 9, a mountain scene. And mountain scenes where glory is revealed reminds you of places like Sinai and Exodus. But here you have Jesus with a few of his disciples, and it tells us in Luke 9, 29, the appearance of his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white, and in Matthew 17, 2, his face shone like the sun. Talk about light and fire. And then in Luke 9, 32, the disciples saw his glory, we're told. In Luke 9, 34, what else is present? Ah, a cloud, of course. Of course, because when you think of something giving light and glory, and when you think of something that is overshadowing and that is a cloud in the Old Testament, it makes sense that Christ, the presence of God with sinners, would have cloud and light and glory associated with him. We're told in Luke 9.34, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. You know, here in Exodus 40, the tabernacle fills with the cloud, and Moses can't even enter it. And now on a mountain, a cloud overshadows the people and the disciples are afraid. Yeah, I bet they were, especially if they knew the Old Testament. I bet they know that if you're on a mountain and a cloud shows up and glory is there, your life is in danger. What are you, Moses? No. But it turns out in Luke 9, Moses shows up in the transfiguration. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. Absolutely, this isn't something they're trying to think, oh, if I only had my phone on me so I could film this whole thing. No, no, I mean, this is a horrifying moment. Glory and clap. This, is, this represents the presence of God with them. And then a voice speaks from the cloud. In Matthew 17, 5, a voice says from the cloud, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Not only is this transfiguration scene a pivotal place in revealing the identity of Christ and the presence of God with sinners, think of how Matthew's gospel begins and ends. In Matthew 1, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, we're told, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here you have cloud and fire and tabernacle in the Old Testament. What do you have in the new? A baby born of Mary, growing up in Nazareth. Ministering to the sick and the needy, proclaiming good news to the poor and the outcast, warning the religious leaders in their hypocrisy and self-exaltation, and ultimately saying that the Son of Man must be rejected, suffer, and die and rise on the third day. This is God with them. This is Emmanuel, better than the tabernacle, better than the pillar of fire, and better than the cloud. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. One writer put it this way, while Moses had been led by God through pillars of cloud and fire, we on the other side of the incarnation have something even better, the indwelling spirit to guide us. The indwelling spirit of God. Think of Acts. In Acts, the spirit of God descends in Acts 2 with wind and fire. The images are not incidental. They don't just happen to be that. They are in strong continuity with the Old Testament where this is God by His Spirit coming down upon His people, not filling a tabernacle, but filling image bearers. We are the tabernacle in Christ. We are His temple. It is if we have been filled in Christ Jesus with pillar of cloud and fire. 
We might not think of it in that language, but by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, in union with the Lord Jesus, with all of that being true, we have something better than what Numbers chapter 9 spoke of. We have what Numbers 9 anticipated. Peter reflects in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he reflects on how he bore witness to the glory of God on the transfiguration. The transfiguration of the Lord. He talks about how he saw the glory in the cloud on that mountain. And you know what he says? He says, we have something even more sure. We have something more sure. The prophetic word, he tells us. He's meaning the Holy Scriptures. In Peter's word, he says in chapter 1 and in verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as a, to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing that no scripture, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even after all that Peter had seen. He doesn't look to his readers and say, well, I hope one day you, you guys get to have a, a cloud overshadow you and, uh, you know, glory appear in this and that. And then Peter says, we have something even more sure. The prophetic words, the holy scriptures. By the spirit of God, God guides his people in his son by his word and spirit. We're not looking for clouds above us and fire. We want to open our Bible and plead for the Lord to guide us. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 119.35. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. We want to think that way about the scriptures which are more sure and faithful. We want to be like the psalmist who says of Psalm 1, in Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We want to say with the psalmist of Psalm 119, verse 98, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. It is ever with me. You see, the the pillar of cloud moving was the command of the Lord. They waited for that cloud to move so that they could follow the command of the Lord and be guided by the Lord. Word, command, cloud, incarnation, Son of God... All of these things in the grand epic of Scripture help us to see that in the church of the Lord Jesus, we are united to the Son. And that by the Holy Spirit of God, He guides us by His Word. We need to be a people, in other words, who pray not only for hearts ready to obey, ready to look for these and these many circumstances and hardships of life. How can I be faithful? We need to be people who love the Bible. And who open its pages and meditate upon its truths. Who long to be guided by the commandments of God like fire and cloud guided the Israelites of old. We need to ask questions like, in this matter of my life, has God spoken in his word about this? How can I obey him? What would it look like to follow the Lord faithfully or wisely in this situation? And the reason we want to ask those kinds of questions is because we believe his commands are good. And his presence is constant. And our destination is sure. His guidance is trustworthy. The destination is sure because these Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt were being guided through the wilderness, headed toward an inheritance that would not fail to be theirs in following Christ or in following the Lord Yahweh faithfully. 
If they turn from the Lord, if they forsake his word, if they go astray, if they go and they worship idols, if in high-handed immorality and idolatry they reject him, well, then they should reap what they sow. Rejection of the Lord will reap rejection by the Lord. But for those who want to know God, and for those who want to follow God, He will faithfully lead them all the way. Not some of the way. All the way. My Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of His love. Perfect rest in me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed immortal, wings its flight through the realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Let's pray.